You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Okay, that's life in the community. Now let's get into scripture. Back to Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, and let's read it together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone, that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happened to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is the word of the Lord. So that's a good question. When I look at Jesus, what do I see? And this week I was kind of thinking about my own journey. And that's an interesting question that just like the disciples, in our passage, has had a lot of different answers through my years of following Jesus in my life. And I think as I look back, I would have to honestly say that in my elementary and early, maybe junior high years, and which that sentence tells you, I, I've had the grace, the compassion of God that I got to meet Jesus at a very early age. And in those early years, I kind of saw Jesus like, well, kind of like this. He was a get out of jail free card. When I gazed at Jesus, that's what I saw. I saw this guy who is my freedom from being separated from God's love and everything that comes with being separated from God's love for all of eternity. And there's something that's very right about that, but that's not all of who he was, but that's how I saw him at the time. And then in my late teenage years, as I began to kind of understand, but wait a minute, Jesus is actually, it's not just about a get out of jail free card and I just show my laminated pass at the pearly gates and then I get into the gated community of heaven. There's like Jesus is actually actively involved in my life as, and as I was kind of growing in my faith. Then I started to see Jesus as more of like this. He was kind of more of a genie in the bottle who was concerned about, well, 
at least I was hopeful, he was concerned about the three main things that I was most concerned about. And right, a genie in a bottle gives you three wishes. And so he was going to give me the most important wishes of number one, give me the right college to go to. Number two, give me the right woman who's absolutely beautiful and lovely in every way that I can marry. And number three, give me the great career that makes lots of money. And so that was what I saw him as. And then as I got a little older and kind of maturing a little bit, kind of moved out of the genie phase, but then I was concerned about I wanted to honor Jesus with my life. And so this is how I started to look at Jesus, which was the WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? It's, it, was the, it was a journey and it was an honest one of kind of going, okay, well, I want to know God's will for my life. And I want to know God's will for my life because I know knowing his will and living it is the way to a happy life. So if we really track what was going on in my head in my early 20s was, I want a happy life. But I'm told within my church that to have that, I need to know God's will. So what would Jesus do in everything that I do? That was how I looked at him. And then I would have to say in my early 30s and 40s, I saw Jesus as basically a giant bag of power tools. He was just a bag of power tools. And I love power tools. You come to my house, you know I love my power tools. I like just wandering the aisles of Home Depot and looking at power tools because he was the one who would provide me with the right power tools to get the job done right in my marriage, in in my parenting of my kids, and in my ministry. So, and I, these are... This is how, these are the different ways I saw Jesus. So if we go back to the question, when I look at Jesus, what do I see? Honest answer, depending on the season of my life and the state of my need in that season, I've seen parts of who Jesus really is with a whole lot more heaping portions of my projection onto Jesus of what I most want and need out of Jesus. That's how I see Jesus. So I ask myself the question, so in fairness, we're a community. Let me ask you the question. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? What do you see when you look at him? And I would say this, don't let yourself get too churchy and answer with the right churchy answers. Let's not go there in our, in our conversations with ourselves. The right answer is the one where you're allowing yourself in this moment as you explore your heart to be vulnerable and ruggedly honest. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? Do you see any of the versions of Jesus that I just admitted? You know, the get out of jail free car Jesus, the genie in a bottle Jesus, the WWJD bracelet Jesus, the bag of power tools. Or maybe there's this, maybe you look at Jesus and he is kind of a ladder. He's the ladder right in front of you. And all of them are these measured steps to success. And right in front of you, Jesus is the ladder and he's the way up to the top, whatever top you want to get to. And he's going to give you access to your best life now. Maybe that's how you look at him. (laughs) I can't believe this image is actually on the internet. But here's the next one. Is Jesus your super friend? Is Jesus the boyfriend or super friend that you've always wanted? 
In fact, it's interesting, Calvin Nye, who is our worship intern, we were talking a little bit about worship songs, and I've recently read in a leadership ministry article that was kind of critically exploring some of the lyrics of our popular worship songs, and I just thought it was hilarious. I shared it with Calvin. I go, the the critique was that so many of the many popular worship songs are essentially lyrics that are, Jesus is my boyfriend lyrics. Which I thought that's kind of funny, and actually, you should look at some of them. Thankfully, we have a team of people who look at the songs we sing and try to edit out those Jesus is my boyfriend lyrics. But the question is, is, is like, is Jesus your boyfriend or he's just super friend, you know, who can break the cross down and, you know, win big victories? Or here's another one, and this is big. This is happening in churches all the time. Jesus waving the American flag. This is terrifying how many images are like this on the internet. Where his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the true vision of America, whatever that means to you, they're one and the same thing. They're all just overlapped. They're the exact same thing. Where there is an actual view that the Constitution of the United States is co-equally inspired of God, just like the Holy Scriptures are. Maybe you got that view. How do you see parts of who Jesus really is? with a whole lot more of keeping projections that you are broadcasting onto Jesus of what you want him or need him to be for you. So today we're continuing this study, Come Follow Me. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to go through the book of Matthew and look at these intimate huddle conversations that Jesus has with his disciples. They're private conversations. Because I think out of them, we're in a place. I'm in a place. I'll be honest with you. If you're getting nothing out of this sermon series, then fine. Because the Holy Spirit is ministering to me. I, I, as I'm going and looking again at Jesus, I'm getting a whole lot more out of doubling back and listening to him again. I'm learning things that I have not seen in all of my years of walking with Jesus. I think we all need that. The church in America needs to go back and go, we've missed stuff. We're not listening carefully. We're not seeing him clearly. And so we're doing this series to look at that. And I think these conversations, they deepen our apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. Here's what we've learned so far. In these, the, we've already studied three intimate conversations in Matthew. The first one was, Jesus says to a few disciples, he says, come follow me. And we've heard his call that Jesus, if you want to be a disciple, is saying this to us. I'm asking you to re-engineer your entire rhythm of life around following me. And nobody in this room is doing that perfectly. And I'm, first of all, pointing at myself. The first call is to re-engineer your life completely around the followership of me. The second scene we saw is where Jesus is looking out at a bunch of people who are harassed by life. And he says to his disciples, man, look at the harvest field. It's, It's plentiful, but the workers are few. And we heard the appeal of Jesus, pray that God would bring workers into the field and be a worker in the field. And then last week, we talked about the difference between hearing Jesus and actually listening to Jesus, where the disciples pulled him aside, remember, and they said, why are you talking parables? And basically, out of that conversation, we heard Jesus say kind of to us and to the disciples, I want people who have a heart ready for active listening to me. These are the things we've learned so far. So let's get back into the text for today. As Jesus brings the 12 disciples into a very, another intimate conversation about another issue. And this is the issue for today. What do you see? That's the issue for today. He says to them, who do people say 
the son of man, and they knew he was talking about himself, me is. Who do they say it is? Now, I don't know about you. This is kind of <laughs> lets you in on my kind of interesting, suspicious heart where there's something about this where you're like, is Jesus just kind of like needing to kind of like prop up his ego here? Is this what, what's happening? Like, what do people think about me? And I just want to just be clear. It's like, this is not Jesus searching for likes on his social media platform or, or trying to get compliments. Because we all know what that's like as a human being to get the dopamine hit in your brain from a praise. That's not what this was about. This is Jesus having a deep exploration of what are you picking up about what other people are putting down about me? What, what are you thinking about this? And so the disciples say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. In fact, if you have your Bible and you flip back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 2, we actually read that King Herod Antipas, he's kind of a sinister character. Remember him? He's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. He thinks, he says it in the text. He says, I think this Jesus guy is John the Baptist come back from the dead. And he's spooked by Jesus. He thinks he's come back from the dead, John the Baptist. And that was a common view. So the disciples say, some people are saying that's what you are. Others said, they said, hey, other people say you're Elijah. There was this other really common view that the Old Testament rock star prophet. I mean, he was like... The poster, you know, like the Michael Jordan poster of every young boy's bed in Israel, that Elijah, the rock star prophet of the Old Testament, that he had come back to usher in the messianic age because there was a common thread in that in rabbinical conversations about, we think maybe Elijah's going to come back and usher in the messianic age. So there was that conversation. And then they said, well, others say you're Jeremiah or some other kind of prophet. They picked up on the fact that Jesus was making criticisms of the religious leaders and the leaders of Israel. And they're like, you kind of sound like an Old Testament prophet. Maybe you're like Jeremiah. Come back from the dead. And what I want you and me to see, because there is this threat in us and even in unbelievers who will say, I've, I've had people tell me this. Well, I mean, if I could have seen the Red Sea part, if I could have seen Jesus face to face and watched him do miracles, of course I would believe. And my question back from this text is, would you? Because the disciples are revealing to us that the crowds who were seeing Jesus in the flesh, they were seeing him. And they were seeing him in real time rendering miraculous mini renewals of a broken world, miracles they had ideas that were maybe close-ish with a whole lot of heaping amounts of wild misconceptions about Jesus, even though they had, he was right in front of them, all doing all these crazy things. And so Jesus drills down. What about you? What about you? Who do you honestly say that I am? And Peter, is the, he's the blurting disciples. He just blurts stuff out. Sometimes he's right, this case. And other times, no, he's not right. But this time he got it right. He says, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Now, I was thinking about it this week. It's like we read that and we go, okay, we get that 2,000 years removed and understand what that means. But what, what, was, what do we think Peter was thinking he thought he meant? When he said that. So I did a little digging around and trying to piece it together from what I understand of history and stuff. Here's what I think. This is an approximation. Don't quote me on this. It's like, this is exactly the way to see it. But I think it's close. I think when Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, what he's saying is, Jesus, you're the promised returning king. 
You're the promised returning king who's come to save the day for Israel and for the whole world. You're the Messiah. And what's even more amazing and crazy unexpected is that you're God within this human returning king with all the powers of God to save the day. You're the son of the living God. I think that's kind of what he sort of thought he meant. And Jesus says to Peter, yes, way to go, Peter. This is a new one for you. You didn't get that insight from any human source. My father in heaven was the one who let you in on the mystery of my true identity. That's my identity. You got it. But then Jesus tells his disciples that understanding his true identity, and this is important for us too, required a true understanding. What is he about? Okay, you know who I am. What am I about? And first, he talks about the what of what Jesus is all about. And that's in verses 18 through 20. The what. What am I about? And here's how he said it. He says this. Peter's confession made him the first among equals. All the disciples were equals. But he had this first among equals position among the disciples. And on the rock foundation of the confession that Jesus was, that Peter was making about Jesus as the first among equals of the disciples. Upon the rock of the foundation of that confession of the leading representative of the disciples, Jesus says, I'm going to build an ecclesia. It's translated church in our Bibles. Not church the way we think of it, because this is the beginning of what Jesus is pointing to what he's going to do. Ecclesia means remnant group. Like not, not huge throng, not huge crowd, not powerful force, remnant group. He's going to build a faithful remnant group who are going to rally around him and his kingdom on that confession of here's who Jesus is. And the powers of death will not be able to overcome that remnant group who are loyal to Jesus. And as long as Peter and the disciples hold to this confession, this rock confession of Jesus' identity, they're going to be able to participate in the binding and the loosing on earth of the binding and the loosing that's been happening in heaven all along. That's what's going to happen. Which, by the way, when Jesus says that, it's a callback. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God said to the first created people, Adam and Eve, he says, subdue the earth which also means govern it well. He's saying, you're going to actually go back to the original plan of what I had for the whole human race before the atom bomb of sin went poof and blew up. And you're going to be those people who subdue the earth and do it with beauty and goodness. The second thing Jesus gets to is this, not just the what he's about. Then he comes along and completely baffles them. When he tells them the way, he's going to accomplish his what? Look at what he says in verses 21 and 26, or through 26. Jesus gives them this very detailed description. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to get, be killed. And by the way, the people killing me are the people who are viewed currently as the good guys, the leaders and the religious people. And they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. He just gives them a very detailed, this is what's going to happen. So he tells his disciples... Right after they get his identity, right after they get that this is what I'm going to do, he tells his disciples that the way to his crown was going to be a cross. That's how he was going to get his crown, a cross. That the way to the what 
of saving the day for the whole world would be the way of suffering. A lot of American Christians who need to rethink that one. And hilariously, Peter, who's just sat through a doctoral class on the identity of the risen one, Jesus Christ, forcefully pulls Jesus aside and tells Jesus that he doesn't, Jesus doesn't understand his own identity very well. <laughs> By the way, just a side note to the rest of us, have you ever done that to Jesus? Pulled him aside and said, you don't understand your, your identity, Jesus. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And he pulls him aside and he says to him, never, suffering and death, they do not go with you being the returning king who's also God. That's that, no, that math doesn't work, Jesus. Suffering cannot be the way to get to your what, Jesus? And so the schooling had to continue. Jesus said, Peter, get out of my way and Satan get lost. You got, Peter, you know, you've gone from rock as the representative voice of all the disciples, the rock of an accurate confession, to now you become stumbling block boy. Stumbling block seeking to rule without suffering. So look again and look closer and actually see the things of God. Now here's the thing that I want to tease out and have us really think about seriously. Here's the call of Jesus to our deeper discipleship. And that is this. Gaze at who I really am. And what I'm really all about, gaze at it. There is a very significant difference between glancing at someone and gazing at someone. And I would say in the last 50 years of the big, giant American church growth movement, there's been a whole lot of glancing at Jesus and not a whole lot of gazing. Glancing is taking in visual data we're not doing any work to like ponder, really consider, and consider what am I seeing? Gazing involves pondering, thinking, assessing what am, I, what am I seeing? And in fact, Jesus himself said it last week. If you listened to it or you were here with us last week, when Jesus was talking about the difference between hearing and listening, last week in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this about seeing. He says, a lot of people are staring at me but they aren't seeing anything. There are people who are getting visual images of me, but they're not perceiving anything. To gaze means we look at who Jesus really is. And there's two parts to the gaze, really. First, it means we got to take a hard gaze at the heaping portion of projections that we're broadcasting onto the side of Jesus the projection of what our needs and our wants are, and we just broadcast them on him and say, that's who he is. We've got to gaze at that first. And then after recognizing your projections and deleting them out, gaze again at Jesus as he's presented in the Gospels, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, to see him on his terms. And I want to just say again, this takes a lifetime, folks. The Jesus that I know now is not the one that I met in my bedside at the age of five. He has a richness and a widening and a deepening of understanding the fullness of his beauty and his goodness. To gaze also means that we look at what Jesus is really all about. The church needs to be clear on this. What is he about? And of course, it means we got to take a hard gaze at the things that you would like Jesus to be about that you're projecting onto him, like Peter was. 
No, 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 you no suffering before you get the crown, Jesus. We, we, he had to take a look at it, we have to take a look at it. And then after we recognize these projections and we work to delete them, we gaze more carefully at Jesus in the scriptures, illuminated by the Holy Spirit as we read them, to see the what. What is Jesus trying to do in the world? Like there's a lot of us, I'm looking at you, you, don't, you, couldn't, you couldn't enunciate it if somebody asked you because you haven't, you haven't gazed at it enough. Could you tell somebody, here's what Jesus is up to in the world? You need to have an answer for yourself and for others if they ask you. And then to not just see the what of what is he trying to do in the world, but also to understand the way that he's seeking to achieve the what. I'm going to tell you right now, it is not through political power. That's not how Jesus is going to ever get it done. And he never has through church history. And by the way, it's also not just the what, and it's not just the way, but it's also the why. Why? Why is he doing this? Little hint, love. And I will tell you this, tragically, church history is loaded with Jesus' followers not gazing carefully and lovingly at him to understand who he actually is and what is he really all about. And when Jesus' followers have not done that, that has led to grave mistakes in misrepresenting God, pushing fallen human agendas that get confused as God's agenda. It has led to violent holy wars, of all things, in the name of Jesus, killing people, deeply wounding people. There are so many people who are wounded and done with Jesus and done with church because of this not understanding Jesus and what he's all about. And of course, the worst of all is defaming the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. So here's what this means. I've been trying to practice what I've been preaching. So I've personally made a commitment. I'm trying to read about Jesus again, reading the story of Jesus in the Gospels this year. So I'm kind of reading through Matthew. I like stories. The Gospels are all stories. It's fun. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So through the whole year, I'm just reading through them. And then when I finish John, I go back and I'm going to keep reading through the year about Jesus. And so as I'm doing that, and by the way, don't praise me for that. That's just like, a, I mean, as a believer, that's a minor thing, right? To spend some time getting to know Jesus. And so that's just kind of what I'm doing. And so I'm, I'm reading it. And as I read this week, I stumbled on the agonizing sorrow and excruciating suffering of Jesus on the cross. And I, and I read this sentence that I've, I've read it before many times probably, but I didn't ever really gaze at it. And it's this sentence in Matthew 27, 34, where it said, They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And I was like, what? I mean, that's a big deal. Jesus refused the wine and the gall. And you go, Andy, what? why was that a big deal? Here's why for me. One of the things that the Romans did, they were horrific masters of torture an extension of agony on a cross. And one of their tricks was to give these people as they're dying just enough deadening pain to keep the pain going longer. And so they would give them wine mixed with a drug called gall. Think in our day, somebody giving you wine mixed with ibuprofen. And what my continuing investigation of Jesus revealed to me about my Lord was that he was committed to total mindfulness in his agony without medicating any of it. 
I've never seen that before. Total mindfulness in his agony for me so that he would not medicate any of it. My Jesus didn't want the pain to be dulled. He wanted to experience all of the pain of the crucifixion because he wanted to experience all of the extremes of your and my human brokenness and pain as he was laying down his life for our redemption. Now, there's a whole other sermon there, right? But I'm, not, I'm just giving it as an illustration of something. This continuing investigation of Jesus, for me, it revealed something that I needed to gaze at every time I'm confronted with Jesus and understanding more of what I'm seeing. As I had to look at the questions, what is this, what I'm seeing in Jesus? What does this mean about my salvation? New stuff. And, and what does this mean for how I live my life as a follower of Jesus, participating in his work in the world? So, right, okay, we're clear. We know what Jesus is saying to us. Please, as my disciple, gaze at me. Don't glance at me. Gaze at me in order to understand what I, who I really am and what I'm really all about. Here's what the call to that is. Never stop investigating who Jesus is and what he's all about. Never stop. For the rest of your days. You know the old lame story about the husband and the wife. You've heard it. The old lame story of the wife who told her husband they'd been many years. She said, why don't you tell me you love me anymore? And his lame answer is like, I told you I loved you the day I married you. And if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. You've heard that. Well, a lot of our walks with Jesus are like that. When it comes to gazing at him. Once upon a time, we gazed intently at Jesus. We were a teenager at summer camp. Oh, Jesus was lovely. We were on staff at a summer camp. We were going through a really dark time, a valley of the shadow of death, and we had nowhere else to look except Jesus in that time. One season of our life, that was a season when we were tuned in and turned on, but the commitment to an ongoing, sustained, gazing investigation of Jesus Christ is not a part of our practice. In fact, for some of you, it might be like, I, I've never even thought of it, which is it's sad, but here's the opportunity to think of it. Never stop investigating who Jesus actually is. Just because you met him at summer camp doesn't know you, you, need, you know everything. I don't know everything. We cannot just stop at our first pondering gaze of Jesus, which often it leaves us in the flawed, get out of jail free car, Jesus, the genie in a bottle, Jesus. The WWJD bracelet Jesus, the bag of power tools Jesus, this ladder Jesus, the super friend Jesus, the flag waving Jesus, projections of Jesus. That's why we get there, because we just stop gazing. We got to continue for the rest of our lives to scrutinize who Jesus really is through our exposure to him, illuminated by the Holy Spirit in his word. And I keep saying this every week, folks. Of all the people on the planet who've ever had an opportunity to hear the oracle of God, the scriptures, you are living in a generation where you have the least excuse to not be exposed to God's word. Have it read to you for five minutes on your phone to let case at Jesus, to scrutinize who he is and to do it through worship out there in the beauty of the creation we're surrounded by, but also do it communally. We need it communally. Just like Rachel was saying about the kids. When I hear the kids sing, they inspire my worship just as much as I hope I inspire theirs, although sometimes I don't know. 
We need to be together in worship and also with community. This is why community is important. With a kind of community of people who are also joining you in the continual scrutinizing of the beautiful reality of the risen one. Find a church that's trying to do that. Not, they're not going to be perfect. You're, there is no perfect church. Because the instant you darken the doorway, it's not perfect. <laughs> but find a church like that. And finally this, scrutinize, investigate what Jesus is all about. Because we're all a bit like Peter. We're all a lot like Peter. We all want to pull Jesus aside to let him know how he really should go about what he's doing. I do this a lot. And you tell him what he should do. And we're all like Peter and our need to have Jesus then pull us aside and remind us, would you look again and look closer at me? To understand the what. What is he trying to do in the world? So that we can join him in the what of rallying a remnant group who love him and are participating in the renewal of a broken world. And to understand that the way he's going about that of achieving his what, so that we can join him not in leveraging power. That's not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way of Jesus to leverage power, but in suffering compassion for a broken world. And by the way, can I just again allow me to just say this? I want to encourage you to come to this Closer Walk retreat. I, I know you're going, you keep bringing this up. Why do you keep bringing this up? Andy, stop it. I have a busy schedule. I know. But because Jesus is inviting you. And Jesus is inviting you through this church body that loves you and says, what we know you have to fight against is your freaking busyness. To throw elbows at your schedule, like I keep saying, and come and be closer to him. We talked about the difference between hearing and listening to Jesus last week. We talked about really seeing him, not glancing, but gazing at him. It's served on a silver platter here to do that for just one day, to gather closer to him. So I encourage you right now, take this thing out and sign up. And if money's an issue, just let us know. We'll pay your scholarship. Closer Walk Retreat. Please come. With that, I'm going to invite um, Rachel and Adam and Todd to come on up to lead us in worship and music. Um, but as we wrap up, let me, let me leave you with this thought. The thought is this. The clearer the picture, the greater the delight. Last night we were watching Rings? What, what's the, what is it? Rings? Rings of Power, that's right. I want to keep calling it Lord of the Rings. I keep messing it up. Rings of Power, whatever, on, on Amazon Prime. And I particularly, as a man, take great satisfaction in clear clarity, high-definition, large-screen TV pictures. I get great delight out of that. It's weird, but it's true. And by the way, probably most dudes in this church will go, Amen, Jesus. Amen, Andy. Preach it. But the point is, is the clearer the picture, the greater the delight. And so the point I'm trying to make is the clearer our view of Jesus, removing all the projected images and the ideas that we have about him, the greater our delight is going to be in simply enjoying him for who he really is and enjoying participating with him in what he's doing in our lives and his, what he's doing in the world. So my hope in this message is that this message might, even in the smallest way, clear up some of the picture for you 
or maybe lead to a longer gaze this week or in the weeks ahead that does clear up the picture for you so you can delight in him more richly and in delight in the life that he's giving you and that that delight just will increase. Jesus is calling us. Remember, we're in this deepening conversation of what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, one of these things is Jesus is saying, I want you to gaze at me. Gaze. And understand who I am and what I'm about. Which means we want to be followers who never stop the investigation. Never stop the gaze. Let's be those people. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Thank you so much for giving us life through him. And thank you so much for what you're doing in the world. And I, I hope and pray that this group of followers here can be that ecclesia that Jesus was talking about. A remnant group who's actually going to look at him, actually going to listen to him, actually going to follow him. Lord, help us to be that because there's everything in the world and everything within our flesh that runs against it and is fighting against it. So we need your empowering from your spirit to be those people who just continue the investigation. And in the continued investigation, the rich discoveries create rich transformations of us and the world around us. And I just pray that blessing on this entire church in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.